2 Timothy chapter 4. We pick back up here in verse 6. We're only going to take uh, the um, verses here, uh, verses 6 through 8. Now, I do that a couple of reasons because... A, it's just a standalone before we finish this chapter. Two, I want to, yes, weave in the Mother's Day message with this because it, it fit very well, actually, because it's about faithful finish. Faithfully finishing the ministry that you have. And so I want to start off by saying, Happy Mother's Day to you. Now, being a grandparents, I, I have a, even more of a highlight of a happy grandmother's day as well. Because I'm finding that being a grandparent is very joyful. So I imagine as you as a grandmother, how wonderful it must feel to have the grandchildren because you know you've poured into your children who have now are fruitful <laughs> and producing even better fruit, which is your grandbabies, right? So what a blessing it is to all of you ladies in the ministry uh, to see not only your fruit of your children, but also the fruitfulness of the, them and, and now seeing your grandbabies. So again, just blessings to each and every one of you. And I hope we had enough uh, flowers, so all of you ladies who are mothers, not only grandmothers, mothers, but I know there are some mothers to be expecting. So you're with child, so that is a happy Mother's Day to you as well. We're looking forward to wherever you're at in the first month or you're at the last few days. We have a young couple that just started coming a few times. She, we were hoping she was going to deliver this past week, but as of yesterday, she had not delivered yet. So, uh, so pray for all the mothers to be expecting here soon. So with that said, they, as we take a look here at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, let's just read those uh, real quick, so, and then we'll go through this, uh, these verses. It says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So as we take a look at these verses, Paul continues to encourage and strongly states to young Timothy that he must remember, if you remember our teaching so far in the writing of this letter from Paul to Timothy, he stated in chapter 4 verse 1, The very first thing is that Christ is coming. Timothy, Christ is coming. You and I today can say, Christ has come, but he is coming back. And he's coming back for us and take his his bride, the church, to heaven. And we look with great anticipation each and every day as a believer that today, perhaps today, today's the day the Lord comes back and takes us home. And I certainly hope it does. 
Now, sometimes we, we want a little bit of a delay, and I, I, I had to say, I, I made the most wonderful cake for my bride today for Mother's Day and her birthday tomorrow. And I can't wait to eat the cake. So part of me says, I want to eat the cake and celebrate my wife's birthday tomorrow. But I'm telling you, it would be a great supper with our Lord if we had, he took us home today, too. I'm okay with that. The second thing that he messages out to Timothy and to the church of that time is not only is Christ coming, but he says, watch out because there's going to be an abandonment of the faith. An apostasy is coming. And today we can say an apostasy has come. Because it is rampant across the spectrum of people who used to follow the faith of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news, and who have walked away from the church or have walked into going into some cult or some quasi-belief system of spirituality. Paul warned Timothy, an apostasy is coming And he was warning them then. And the church and God by his spirit right now is warning us of apostasy is coming. We also see in verse 2 of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, preach the word, Timothy. Be ready, Timothy. In verse 5 he says, be watchful in all things, Timothy. Enduring affliction. You're going to have to deal with affliction. There will be persecution that will come your direction because of your faith in Jesus Christ and you're unmovable of that. People are going to persecute you because of that faith. Do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Whatever God wants you to do, you must fulfill that ministry that God's called you to do. We do not measure the fulfillment of any ministry only by the numbers that are happening within that. How many people or how much money or how whatever. People are always checking and trying to figure out the success of a ministry by numbers. That is the wrong way to measure a ministry. Or the number of people or how much money or things you've accomplished and tracking and tracking and tracking like some organization. We realize that faithfulness is important and that God sees the heart of the person and the heart of a ministry and that is what is important to God. That is why Timothy had to be watchful in all things. That's why Paul said don't take your eyes off of this because carrying on the ministry with seriousness of purpose is important, Timothy. Stay very focused, very serious about the ministry. Timothy watched the sufferings in Paul's life on many occasions. Mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He mentioned how Timothy watched his life and how he went through pain after suffering, after suffering and pain and loss and all the things that were happening within his ministry. But most of Timothy's sufferings would also come. And Paul warned him of that. And we know by history, we know by the scripture that much of the sufferings that Timothy was going to meet that he didn't even know at this point in time would come from religious, religious crowd. The religious crowd that they say they had a form of godliness. 
And that not only that they were persecuted by these religious crowd who did not want to hear the truths of God. And many today in the ministry are absolutely coming against because they continue to teach God's word only and do not deviate from this. And persecution comes not from the secular, not from the ungodly mostly, but mostly from those in the actual religious world. Because now there's, it points out, and the conviction is great. There's always a saying, when you throw a huge rock in the middle of a pack of dogs, listen to the one that yelps the loudest. That's the one that got hit. When you teach the word of God, when you see the one barking and yelling and screaming and crying, that's the one that got convicted the most. So we see here that Timothy is being warned that yes, there's going to be some persecution and it was the religious crowd that crucified Christ and has persecuted Paul all the way through his ministry and it will persecute you as well if you continue to stay steadfastly in the truths of God. You may not even be saying the words. You may be actually just living out and being a doer of the word, which is what we're called to do, not just hearers, but doers. And you will face that. You will only a matter of time. Someone on the workforce is going to persecute you for your belief. Because you will not do and you will not compromise. You will not go against the word of God. Stand Fast, stand firm, my brothers and sisters. Be encouraged because the Lord is with you. No weapon can be formed against you. But Paul was so passionate because he knew not only the fact that Christ is coming, not only there's going to be an apostasy that is coming, but that his departure, we see in verses 6 through 8 today, is that his departure is coming. And it's from this world that he's going to be departing, and he was excited. He was excited the fact that he was leaving this world. He's approaching death. It was coming upon him and his ministry would be finished. He would complete the ministry that God had called him to be, to do. Paul has this victorious confidence as we see in the scripture today. And may we too have victorious confidence in what God has called us to do in the ministry. And we will hear his final words to Timothy and to the church as we see here even in verses 6 through 8. And he says here as Paul looks around at what's happening within the ministry of what's happening in his life at this moment. Remember, he's in a Roman jail. He's probably gone through that first hearing of the jail and as a uh, Roman citizen, he would not be crucified like his Lord because that's not what they did to the Roman citizens. The Romans beheaded their citizens who went against the government. So the government is going to behead, as we know, is going to take the head off of uh, Paul here in the near future. And I believe, based on his writings here, that he knew that was uh, is going to be coming very soon. And that's why he's departing out these last final truthful words to his young protege, Timothy, in the ministry to encourage them. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. 
He's looking at his life at this moment. He's writing this and he says to him, I know, Timothy, you may not realize it, but I want you to know that these must be very close, that I'm going to die. I'm not, God's will is for me to, to move on into, from this world into heaven. And I'm so excited, but I'm not trembling. I'm not fearful. I'm not concerned. I'm more concerned about you and the church that you stay faithful in the ministry and continue to do what you're called to do. And I've written out the things to think about and warning you to think about because these things are going to happen. He poured everything he knew out to these people so that they could hear, so they were not taken by surprise of what God was showing him. And the scripture is for us today so that we're not surprised by the things that we see that are coming and are going on right now in our country, around the world. We should not be surprised. We should not be moved. We should not tremble as Paul because Paul warned us then and Timothy and the church then and the Holy Spirit warns us today. Do not be afraid. Be of good courage. I've overcome death. I've overcome this darkness. It's only a matter of time. Like Paul, I'm going to take Paul out of here. And I'm also going to be taking you out of here. So be like Paul. Are you ready? Paul was ready. I am ready. Already being poured out as a drink offering. A drink offering brought this wine before the Lord and poured it out onto the altar to show. There were many different offerings we see in the scripture. The very first one is a burnt offering. That's when they took that sacrificial animal and they burnt it on the altar to a completeness. Completely gone, they would burn it. That represented in our time Jesus' body being completely given over and as a burnt offering. Because it represented for the nation of Israel an offering for sin. That's what the burnt offering was for. It was burnt so that it would cover and wipe out the sin of the nation of Israel. But they'd have to keep over and over until one, until Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, came and paid the penalty for one, for one and for all. He was the burnt offering. The second offering we see in the scripture is a grain offering. It's the giving of the first fruits to God. As God provides for you, give back to him the first fruits. It was part of an offering to show God's plentifulness to them and their, their worship. And that's why even still today, our tithes, gifts, and offerings, you give it to him because it's a first fruits. It's, it's a way to worship God and what he's provided for you and I. And then there's this, uh, as Paul points out, I am being already poured out as a drink offering. That's another offering, and it's the final offering that we see in the scripture in the Old Testament. It's the representing the fruit of the vine being poured out to God. And that represents Jesus' blood being poured out on the cross for your sin and my sin. The final offering. Praise the Lord. Amen. The idea of a drink offering is first presented in Genesis chapter 35 verse 14 where Jacob poured out a drink offering before the Lord as a sacrifice. We see the same thing in the Mosaic law as a drink offerings could be part of the sacrifice for the Lord. We see that in Exodus 29 and Leviticus 23. Did I tell you how excited I am? <laughs> Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, I finished the discipleship journey. 
Lord willing, the following Wednesday, more than likely we're going to start Leviticus. We're back in the Old Testament. Did you know that's one of my favorite books? I'm going to have a toss-up between, you know, finishing up Timothy and Leviticus. I mean, it's going to be a struggle, but we're going to have a great time either way with both those books. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He was so glad to pour out his life onto the people that God had brought in to have him minister to. He was already just pouring his life out. He wasn't going to hold anything back. That's what it means to be poured out. Has the idea of a complete giving with no reservation. The liquid is completely emptied from the cup, totally given to God, nothing held back. Have you ever went and been challenged to go do something very serious or some serious competition or race or whatever it may be in your life and ministry and you went there to, with, the, uh, with the entire heart, the right heart that says, I'm leaving it all there. I'm going to pour it all out. And by the time I'm done, it is completely emptied of myself. Because I left it all. Nothing to hold back. I'm not reserving at all. I want to pour out my life for God in everything I do. That's what Paul was saying here. Paul was saying that one day it will be done. The meal will be over and I'm being poured out unto God. And he was rejoicing. How many people fear at the end of their life, I'm about to die and so many people are in anguish and turmoil and, and they're just absolutely stressed out about that. But you don't need to be like that, my brothers and sisters. If you're with God and you're walking with God and you're doing what God's called you to do and you're be faithfully um, finishing your ministry that God's called you, you're going to be rejoicing like Paul is, knowing it's only a matter of time you're going to be in the presence of your Lord and embraced. Have you poured out your life as Paul did in the ministry that God's called you to be? So Paul was already being poured out. His head was not on the executioner's chopping block yet. It had not happened yet, but he already seen in his mind, in his heart, that he says, I've already been poured out. I've already given my life. I'm already ready to give my life. And what a place to be, because historically we know it seems to be an undisputed tradition that he was beheaded just outside the Basilica Julia Courthouse in Rome, and, and based on the, the orders of Caesar Nero, that he would have be beheaded. And he already, as he's writing this letter, says, I already know that I'm going to give my life up to Christ. I already know that it's my time is coming soon. This guy named Nero, dude, is going to tell me that I'm going to take my head off, but I've already poured out my life. I've already given my life. He's not going to take my life. I've already given my life. I'm going back to be with my Lord. And what a beautiful place to be in his last days. He says, I've been a living sacrifice, serving Jesus since the day I was saved. Now, 
I will complete that sacrifice by laying down my life for him. Is that your heart? Is that your mindset as well? I know it's difficult if you're young because you have this just this whole life ahead of you. You think you're going to be living, of course, until you don't even really think about how long you're going to live. You just seem like you're going to live, 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 live. You know, you never want to have the conversation. Oh, am I going to be the statistic of age 65 or 75 or what it is today? Or are you going to say, oh, I'll live. I've got good genes. I'm going to live until 100. We, we, we don't want to talk about life and death, do we? Especially when you're young. But we have no promise for tomorrow. That's why whatever God has for you today, my brother and sister, pour out your life in doing what God's called you to do for this day. Because he's given you the energy and the ability and the equipping to do what he's given you to do today. Tomorrow when you wake up, the mercies are new. <laughs> There's no carrying over for mercy from one day to the next. You didn't notice that. It's all new. And then he says, this is what I have you to do. Go to school, make your bed, and be good to the teachers and your fellow students at school and pour out your life to study and take good tests and do these things and be kind to other people. Pour out your life as a young man and a young lady. Some of you are waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, I just hope my body is going to move. And I can get out of bed, Lord. By your mercies, I'm going to get out of bed today. And maybe some physically can't get out of bed. For whatever reason. But you know that you have one of the most important ministries that day to do. You know what that is? To lay there because you can't get out and pray. And pray and pray without ceasing because the power in prayer could touch so many lives that day, that morning when you can't physically move, but spiritually you're moving mountains. People could be getting saved through your interceding for those people, your brothers and sisters or family members who are not saved. We must see things from God's perspective, a biblical perspective, not a worldly, fleshly perspective. And that's how Paul saw it. I'm already pouring my life out. I've already sacrificed my life. I'm giving everything I have for today. Tomorrow, if he chooses to wake me up, he will refill me with his mercy and his quipping and grace and strength to continue to do what it is that he's called me to do. And I'll do it day after day after day, after day, with a hope and the promise he's coming back that day for me. If not, then the next day he obviously has me here for a reason and purpose. That's why as brothers and sisters, as, as children of God, we always have purpose. We'll never get to a point where you, if you really understand this, you will never wake up and say, I have no hope. You, why do you mean you have no hope? The scripture is very clear. You have all the hope of eternity. You have all the promises of God that's going to use you for his purpose. You have purpose. You have hope. That's why when you hear the statistics of, of suicide, you clearly know 
you have clearly have the answer to help that person to overcome that feeling that is like water is this we see in the uh, the proverbs the or the psalm that it's like a flood coming over you that's that feeling of over being overwhelmed cast all your cares my brothers and sisters as we learn in the scripture cast all your cares onto Jesus he will lighten your load Paul was there he knew his life was pouring being poured out we see in the scriptures this word the times of my departure is hand. Time is not the time like a clock time. This Greek word is season. It's the season of my departure is at hand. It's my time. It's this season. This is the time of my life. He didn't know exactly the day and time. None of us do. But he knew it was the season for the time for him to depart. And the depart was the fact that he was going to leave this body and be in the presence of the Lord. And it's the departure is a wonderful word. And it has a couple of meanings here in the scripture. It means to be like a boat that's tied up, an anchor set. And it's time to lift the anchor. It's time to loose the mooring uh, lines because you're about to set sail. He says, my boat is about to set sail. I'm no longer docked and anchored here doing what God's called me to do. He's ready to set, let me set sail. That's one meaning. The next meaning it could be is the meaning to take down a tent, which is appropriate for Paul because he was a, a tent maker many times, right? It, to provide a livelihood for him. We see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, where Paul compared the death of believers to the taking down of the tent or the tabernacle in order to receive the permanent glorified body that God has for him. That's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Oh, vacation gone bad. The, 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 the vacation here camping out in this tent has gone bad. I can't wait to take the tent down. Lord is going to get, take me home and give me a new body. What a beautiful thought. A house not made with hands. A glorified body we will get in heaven. Another meaning is this meaning of departure is releasing the prisoner. Which is also very appropriate from a meaning perspective. Because Paul was a prisoner in the Roman jail. Paul was facing release. He would not be executed he would be released. That's his mindset. I'll be departing here. I'm going to get released. I'm no longer going to be in chains and locked down and restricted. I'm being set free. I'm going home. What a beautiful thought And when you say it's time for my departure. Because now he says after all of these years of hard service in the ministry, all the things that he endured in the ministry is now coming to an end where he will now go home to be with his master because his master, as the word here departure means to unyoke you from the ox that, of the work that you've been doing. God yokes you and I up to do a hard work, to plow the land, to plant the seeds, to water the land. You're there just chugging away day after day, doing what God's called you to do. Now the master's going to come and unhook you, release you, to be able to be set free. 
and you'll be going home. What a beautiful picture that Paul points Timothy and to the church to what it's like in Paul's life. Paul's exhortation to Timothy is one of the more meaningful because he, is, he knew he was passing from this world and Timothy was, must continue to carry the torch where Paul is leaving. Left, is, is leaving. Timothy, you having to pick up what the work of the ministry where I'm left off. God's workmen pass on. God's hard workmen pass on. They depart. But when they depart because they had their faithful finish, God's work continues through other faithful saints. And how important it is to know that you're passing things on from one generation to the next generation to do the work of God. And that's why when we come to verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. He gives us three things to Timothy and to the church of what his summary of on his, his life in the ministry what he is most proud of. It wasn't about the size of the number of people he led to Christ. It wasn't the size of the church building that he was able to plan. It wasn't the size, the name recognition across the world and, and how many likes you have and how many followers you have. And it goes on and on and on and on. No, no, no. What was most important, what he wanted to make sure he understood and us as the church understands, and when it comes to the ministry of what God's called you to do, can you say these things at the time when you're about to depart and be in the presence of God? Will you be able to say, because not many saints can say this. Many saints can't echo this. Where you're sitting there knowing you're about to die and you say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. The question is, we should be able to do that. And may we, if we're not today able to say that, may in the days to come that we have made a decision today to be like Paul. That we would sit there and we would look at, Paul says, because he was looking around what was happening in the ministry. Now he's Paul's looks back on his ministry and what he's accomplished and what God has done in and through his life. And as he looks back over his life, he sums up his life and his ministry as one does when he, he or she is about to die and about to come to the end of their ministry of life. They summarize, what have I accomplished? What have I done? The question, what have you done for the Lord, right? That's what Paul is saying here. And he's going to lay it out here because he says the very first one is fought the good fight. Fought in the Greek word means to agonize. I have agonized. I have poured out my life. I have agonized and fought the good fight. Not just any fight. I was fighting a good fight. I was in the good fight. And I was willing to be in that good fight, which was what? The good fight for him is like the... Um, you know, Paul uses a lot of sports illustrations here. So this fight is like a wrestler or a boxer. He's saying like a fight, like a boxer or a wrestler, they're in here fighting the good fight. Willing to go through the battle and take the punches because it's a good fight. It's, I need to, de to defend. 
We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, when he wrote his first letter to Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's what he did. I'm willing to be like a boxer and wrestle with people for the good fight. Why? Because I want to make sure that many witnesses an understanding of the fact that I lay hold of eternal truths, the truths of God, the word of God. I am willing to battle with this. And he did. And then he uses there a second illustration of a racer, someone running, running a race, triathlons. Whatever it is that you do. But Paul, like a runner, states, I have finished the race. Throughout Paul's ministry, he used these pictures of races and, and always an athlete running because the Olympic, Olympic place there in Rome and, and, and the Colosseums and the culture was around this, this whole thing of competition. So he uses an illustration to help them understand the point of what he's talking here. It's like a marathon runner. If you ever ran a race, a short one or a long one, for me it's a 100-yard dash. <laughs> it was, it's my marathon today. you know. But when I used to do triathlons in my previous life, <laughs> you would know the race if you ever done a 12 mile or a marathon you're sitting there racing and everything seems to be working just fine but then you hit the wall you know what I'm talking about if you've ever done sports and it's that last two miles if you don't keep your eyes on the finish line if you don't have your mind so fixated on finishing, your body will absolutely revolt against you and you will quit. Paul says, I agonized in the fight, the good fight. I finished the race. I was willing to do whatever it took to finish, but not just finish the race. He faithfully finished the race. There is a difference. He faithfully finished the race. We see it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. He references it as well in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 about the race. Hebrews 12, 1. But let me read the two of them for you because they're really powerful to understand what Paul is saying here. In Acts 20, verse 24, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What was he in the fight for, the good fight for? What was he willing to run the, continue to run the race even through all the pain and agony and wondering if he's going to be able to make that one more lap or one more mile? He was willing to do whatever it is because his life did not matter apart from what the good news was, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. 
He was not going to depart from that truth. And he was going to continue by the grace of God to testify to the gospel. And it would bring great joy in his life. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also since we are surrounded by such so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My brothers and sisters, I can't keep it as, as I try to keep it as simple as I can for you. Do not allow sin to ensnare you. Do not allow the false teaching that's creeping in in every single kind of touch point of communication. Do not allow it to penetrate and affect to change away from the word of God. You must protect your children. You must protect your wives, men. You are held responsible for those families. You cannot Shriek your responsibility, moms and dads. You cannot. You must faithfully finish doing the ministry that God has called you to do as fathers and mothers. You cannot allow life to deviate from this truth. It is serious business. As Paul said to Timothy, this is serious business, Timothy. The enemy is after your children and after your wives. And if they can take down the husband, the man, the father, you are going to, the whole family is going to crash. The family unit crashes, the society crashes. My brothers and sisters, we are dealing with that today. But it's not too late for you. Wherever the status is where you're at. You could be single today. You could have already raised your families. You've already been faithfully done that. And now you're, now as grandparents, faithfully pour into your grandchildren and your children continually. Because they need encouragement in their, in their ministry of family. There is a lost society out there. Now you have time and energy to be able to go out and reach the lost. These things, this is when you look at these things and you read these scriptures like Acts 20, 24 and you, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 and you see the pouring out and not let the weight of this world and, and sin just absolutely put so much weight on you. You can't live for God. And so how did Paul finish? Well, the third point he made in verse 7 is I've kept the faith. Like a good steward. Not only was he a good fighter, not only was he a good racer, but he was a good steward here. I kept the faith. He's like a faithful servant keeping the uh, master's debt uh, and, 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 and wealth and, and property safe. That's what a steward did. They kept over and made sure nothing got stolen or lost or taken away or devalued in any form or fashion. Paul was going to keep the word of God and the gospel of Christ in the forefront of his life and everyone who would come in front of him. 
He was going to be faithful to continue to share the gospel and keep to the truths of God and not allow his life to deviate from the word of God. He says in 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, Paul to Timothy, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babbles and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And that's what we see today. Oh, I've got knowledge. You have no idea. No, it's just a bunch of babbles of man's philosophies and sociology. And it goes on and on and on and contradicts the word of God. You should not even be looking at it. Because if not, it will, it will invade your mindset. It will make you make bad choices. And it will weaken your spiritual walk. Be on God. Today's Mother's Day. We celebrate it. The importance of it. Of this faithful ministry that God has called women to. What we call motherhood. The influence of godly mothers. We see that very clearly in 2 Timothy. We've touched on it. 2 Timothy 1.5 We touched on it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17. But let me give you the highlights here for you. Because I'd like to take a moment just to elevate the role of godly women. Godly mothers by reminding you of mothers of godly ministry he has for you. And the tremendous influence a faithful godly mother and grandmother had on the well-being or the well-known young man named Timothy that we're talking about today. Timothy's life was grounded and started well because of the fact that he had a godly grandmother and a godly mother. We see that in 2 Timothy 1.5 when we learn that his faith came through the grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and the apostle Paul's preaching may have been used by God to bring Timothy to actual conversion but the grounding of it of his life, getting that foundation laid early on in that young man's life was absolutely paramount. And behind his preaching were years of godly influence of Timothy's grandmother and mother. It started with them in the household. It still starts in the household today, my brothers and sisters. Mothers, it starts today pouring into your children's lives the truths of God. Read them the word of God. Let them not only hear it, but see it demonstrated by your life. And so that they will grow up having good examples as Timothy did. We see in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17, we, learn, we also learn that the sincere faith of these women was combined with instructing Timothy from his earliest days from the scripture. And their example, the results in Timothy's life, this young man's life, was shown, shows us even today through faith in God and by honoring his word, godly mothers have great influence as they train up their children. 
it will have a tremendous impact on your family and your family family and generation upon generation upon generation. Let me give you three points. Godly mothers are women of sincere faith. 2 Timothy 1.5 You must have sincere faith, mothers. Second point from that readings is that godly mothers honor God's word and faithful train their children in it. Verses 14 through 17, we just read it. Those are the second key point I want to leave with you mothers. But for you mothers to be able to do that, you must be a mother who is growing in her own love for God's word. You cannot depart a love for God's word to your children unless you love God's word yourself. Love God's word. And if you love it, you cannot help but share it. The second part is a godly mother will use God's word to lead her children to saving faith in Christ. There is no other way to have your children raise up to be godly young men and godly women apart from leading them to Christ by the word of God. The third point, a godly mother will train her children in how to live by God's word. Not only will you, by God's word, lead them to Christ, but then that's just what the beginning of it, mothers. You then pour into them the teaching of the word of God so that they will not only be hearers and be saved, but then they will be hearers and then turn into doers and their life will actually reflect every aspect of their life as they grow will reflect a godly character in everything they do. I don't know about you, but what parent wouldn't want their children to be godly children at the very youngest of age? Obedience. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Your children are always just immediate obedience. Couldn't you imagine that would be? Then teach them early on that they serve God, they love God, and one way they do that is by being obedient to authority. Oh, the society. Can you imagine if we had people actually following authority? Oh, our society would be so different today. And the third point I will leave here with you on this point on the motherhood is that godly mothers have great influence on their children. Oh, the influence of mothers on their children. I know every man in here says, I, if your mother's alive, I better call mom. I haven't called her all year, but I better call her today. And you should. You should call her as often as you can. God will remember and honor your faithfulness. We see that in Galatians 6, 9. It says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Mothers, don't lose heart. I hope you go back and you memorize Galatians 6, 9, because we will see as you grow in your motherhood role of ministry, you're going to grow weary at times. And when you grow weary is at times, but you're going good work. This is good work. You're pouring out your life. As Paul says, I poured out my life in ministry. You're pouring out your life into these children. That God's children that he has decided to give you 
It's his children. And as you pour out into their lives in due season, you shall see and reap from that good work you're doing. You'll see your children grow and they will be godly children doing God's work and doing the ministry that God's called them to do. You will see that, Lord willing. Motherhood is certainly weary, can become very tiresome, but mothers must stand fast in their calling. They must stand fast in the ministry that God's called them to do. And as they are faithful in their work at home, we see in Titus 2, verses 4 and 5, God will honor and he will keep his promise to honor those who honor him. We see that promise in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. But we also see it in Proverbs 31, verse 28. He says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. How important it is to have a faithful finish, my, mother, my mothers here and grandmothers. Finish well in that ministry that God's called you. Now let us close here in verse 8. Now Paul has looked around in his ministry at that moment. He has taken a glimpse, not only that, but he's also looked back in his ministry and said, what have I accomplished? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now he's going to look ahead of what is ahead of him. And he is so excited, and we should be excited as well if we're at the end of our ministry. He says in verse 8, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all, that means you and me, who have loved his appearing. So he gives Paul, uh, Timothy an encouragement here, an exhortation, that he says, finally, I'm at the end of my ministry. I'm going home. I'm so excited of, of Jesus' appearing. I cannot wait to see him on this day. And I know already, I already know that I have for me, laid up for me, waiting for me, a crown of righteousness. It wasn't a question in his mind, I hope I'm going to get something when I get to heaven. No, he already knew that a crown of righteousness was already laid up for him in heaven. He was with a great anticipation of a reward for all the ministry, the faithful finish of his ministry. And as a result of his faithfulness to fulfilling his ministry, Paul had no fear of facing the Lord. He had no fear of facing the righteous judge himself but had great anticipation of reward in the form of a crown of righteousness. Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in 
and steal. That's Paul's life. He had the light touch of the things of this world had to offer. His was about just whatever was God provided for him to continue to give him the strength, the ability to keep pouring it out in the lives of others. Worshiping God, and he knew it was just temporary because he was going home. And when he was going there, he had stored up everything that he could have tried to gather now while living here. He said, no, 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 no. I'm going to set it ahead because I want it there for eternity, not for a little dash between two dates of when you were born and when you die. That's a short little dash. But when you talk about eternity, man, that's where I want to have all my stuff stored up to be. Why? Because I don't have to worry about moths. I don't have to worry about rust. I don't have to worry about thieves. These things, they can have it all. But they can't have is what is stored up in the presence of my righteous judge. What a beautiful thing here. And when you take a look at the word here in the original language, crown, there's two meanings to it. There is this crown in the New Testament we refer to as a kingly crown called diadema. And the other crown that we see in the Greek is called a victor's crown or stephanos which means a victor's crown, like a trophy you get after you've run the race and you finished well, you get a trophy. That's the crown that Paul is talking about here, a victor's crown, the crown of righteousness. We also see in the scriptures, referred to as crown of life also in the scripture, but here the Stephanos, he says, I'm going to receive the Stephanos of righteousness. Oh, how excited he was going to be. I'm going to get my trophy when I get there because I finished well. Now, if you know Paul's life, before Paul became a Christian or was a Christian, he supervised the execution of the very first martyr that we see in the scripture and then began to kill as many other Christians out of, the, out of the strength of believing he was doing it for his God. He was a religious leader killing Christians for their faith in Jesus Christ. And he believed he was right to do it based on his faith. But we know the story. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his life changed at that moment. And when that happened, we see here at the end of his life, he writes this letter to Timothy. He was ready to receive his crown, his Stephanos. And it's likely that he remembered the name of that very first martyr who died at the Paul's own hands of giving the command and agreement to kill this young man. And that young man's name was what? Stephen. Is where we get our word from Stephanos. I find that very fascinating how God can 
take something bad and turn it into good for those who love him. Can you imagine the weight of a man who killed God's people who followed Jesus and thought he was really thinking he was doing right? And then God's grace got a hold of him. His life changed. He became born again, regenerated, and his life was then committed to every ounce of being to be poured out into the sharing of the gospel and leading people to Christ. And then by God's grace, at the very end, he worships and praises God Almighty because he knew that laid up for him was a crown of righteousness, Stephanos, in the name of the first man he killed the grace of God. Let me encourage you, my brothers and sisters. You may have messed up your life in the beginning, but you don't have to finish all messed up. If you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ, today's the day you do. If you have and you've walked away and you're a prodigal, today's the day you come back. Today's the day you recommit your life to Christ and you pour out your life day by day by day until your ministry is finished. Finish faithfully well. And watch the grace of God turn that nasty beginning of your life into something good that will bring him glory and praise. Amen? He knew that this crown of righteousness, this promise, even we see in Revelation 2.10, or the crown of life. We see in James 1.12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you know that you and I have a promise today? The crown of life, eternal life. Can you not have anything more valuable in your hands at this moment in time? As a believer, that you have the crown of life. What a beautiful promise for us. Some people wonder if we walk around in heaven with crowns on or not. Everyone's walking around noticing how big your crown is for someone else's crown. Or how many jewels do you have in your crown compared to mine? That's not going to happen. That's how the world works. That's not how heaven works. Matter of fact, the scripture that holds that conversation in my head, well, do we wear crowns around or not? It takes me to Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. That the elders surrounding the throne of God takes their crowns and cast it before Jesus. Giving any trophy that they received right back to the one who deserves the crown because it's only because you have a crown is because of him. We receive the crown of life. It's meaning we are casting our life before Jesus. Giving our life back to Jesus because he gave us what? Life. Christ gave us eternal life. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. What's that day? In your Bible, it should be a capital D. Which is referring to Christ's return. 
He says, Christ's return. Christ is coming for me. Christ is coming for us as a church. We're not, I'm not worried about this execution. I'm not worried about what they're going to do. What is it going to do? They're going to chop my head off? Is it going to lay down and look back up at them and stare at them? Are we, what? It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. And when I'm there, I receive my crown. I have eternal life. I have the peace in the rest of the rest of my life. And the righteous judge will look at my life and find it faithful, a faithful finish. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, this is the last letter probably that Apostle Paul wrote. Last letter, last appearing, last standing, but man, he's right on the verge of going into eternity. Full of God, strong, anticipating with every ounce of his body of eternal glory that he's going to receive. He was, he was in a good space. May we be in good space today. May we find ourselves today, and I'll leave you with this, and at the end of this verse, also and to all who have loved his appearing. Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. I don't know about you, but those are great verses to end in because have a faithful finish to your ministry that God's called you. Give it everything you have and have that absolute hope and promise as Paul did as he writes this letter to Timothy that you too at the end of your day are writing a letter like Paul echoing that you fought the good fight. Right? You've kept the, you've kept the faith. Correct? You were willing to do whatever it takes to finish the race and finish it completely.